CPA and CFP Don Cash has made it his life's work to help people like you plan their finances and achieve their retirement goals. It's time for your money and your life. Okay, here we go. This is the long-awaited show with my good friend, Brian Dunphy. Brian is not only the owner of a business consulting firm, Brian Dunphy and Associates, which consults on leadership management and business consulting, but also part-time pastor at Calvary Chapel of Oldbridge and husband of Amy for 23 years and father of 10 children. Wow. So what did I leave out there, Brian? Was it the um, Heisman Trophy, the Academy Award, Super Bowl MVP? I know Tom Brady got that last year, but uh, I'm sure I left left something out. But uh, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. You know, it's funny. You put all that together and 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 I'm exhausted just listening. So, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but yeah, you know, it, it, it's I truly enjoy uh, the position I'm in in life with my family, with uh, with the church, with business consulting. And it's been great. Not only have I known you for 20 years, I, I got the privilege of discovering your podcast. And and I got to tell you, one of the things not only have I learned from, but I've had the opportunity to listen uh, a few times with uh, one of my children, one of my older sons, who's a budding uh, entrepreneur and investor. So uh, we've been getting a lot from the podcast and and I'm just privileged to be a part of it. Well, I'm glad you listen. And I know that you're, uh, you, you stopped me and, and, and mentioned that a couple of times when we, when we spoke. So it's humbling and uh, you know, it's what it's all about, just sharing good information with people and, you know, helping, um, our lives uh, get a little bit better, but certainly looking forward to uh, to the show. And I thought Brian would be a great guest to talk to about he and Amy managed to raise a large family, especially living in a state like New Jersey, where the cost of living is is so high. Uh, many of our clients are in retirement or or near retirement, as you know, Brian, and often they have kids of their own in their 30s or 40s who struggle to save money or simply earn enough to raise two or three or even four kids, let alone 10. (laughs) Um, Not only that, but the logistics I would imagine of managing the household must require a lot of systems, right? A lot of discipline. And I would imagine lots of coffee, but you're going to tell me no, right? (laughs) Yeah. You know, um, never been a coffee guy for me. I tend to be high energy and I get my energy from having the privilege of loving what I do. Uh, I love the people I do it with and, uh, and lots of exercise. Yeah. You know, again, we talked about that earlier, the importance of, of exercise, particularly what we're going through in the past year and a half, just to have the energy to do what we do from day to day, stay healthy and, um, let alone, you know, raising so many kids managing your own business and all the other things that come along with it so today we're going to talk a little bit about money management time management uh, instilling values the important issue of instilling values to the next generation and simply making it all work but let's go back in time if we can to the time i met brian it was over 20 years ago it's about 21 years ago yeah. to be exact and you were teaching a course at church that's calvary chapel of oldbridge to a group of people that included my wife kathy and i 
And this was, and I mentioned to Brian when we spoke last night, I remember vividly, it was October of the year 2000. Mm-hmm. And my Mets, I'm a big Mets fan, were playing the Yankees in the World Series, which they lost. And of course, we were very excited about that. And Brian was teaching this course, and it was very intense. We had a lot of notes, a lot of homework. I got out of the car with my wife, or I got into the car with my wife, Kathy, in the evening, and the game was on. So I immediately ran to the car, flipped on the game. I was intensely listening to the game, and Kathy had to admonish me for being distracted so quickly away from the topic for the evening and getting involved in so uh, such an emotional level with the game. But uh, at that time, going back 21 years ago, you had just graduated from college and were recently married and had no kids. So tell us a little bit about your story and how you and Amy got started. Yeah. And, and it's funny, a uh, couple things. Uh, the first off is I do have to tell you that even though you got admonished, I probably did exactly the same thing and put the game <laughs> on. Um, but dare I say I was rooting for the other team. Well, you won. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I had just finished my master's work and uh, I had started at the church. And yeah, this was pre-children. It was it was definitely a different time of life, one I'm very grateful for. But yeah, you know, Amy and I, we met at Rutgers. Uh, we were both uh, students there. And our, our story happened pretty quick. I, I'd say, I think from saying hello to saying I do, I think was pr- it was less than two years all in. Mm. And then, I mean, from there, uh, again, we, I was doing my master's work. And right out, of, right out of finishing my master's, I went and got a job at the church, uh, primarily counseling focused. So I would be doing, I would be doing counseling probably about thirty hours a week at the time, and uh, and that's really where I got a lot of my opportunity to use the things that uh, I had learned. Very often, people will go into a degree program and they don't get the benefit of actually utilizing the knowledge that they're given. And and I was incredibly grateful that I did get to do that and develop those skills over the years, and that's translated even to today. But you know, when, when Amy and I first started, like every couple, we had that conversation around, so, uh, you know, how many kids do we want? <laughs> and, you know, at the time we said five and the short version is, you know, we got the five and our life was so rearranged and dedicated towards family that we said, you know, well, you know, why stop there? And so fast forward the tape. And we found ourselves with uh, double five and <sighs> and enjoying every moment of it, uh, even the moments that are a little bit more challenging and trying. Well, um, it's, it always amazes me that uh, when someone is able to raise a large family. Anyway, I find that it's interesting. The ones that, that, um, that do, and we know a few mutual friends that have large families, you know, often they don't seem to be overwhelmed. They, they have it kind of like, you know, I guess a system and a process together. I'm assuming the older ones help the younger ones out. But, you know, going back to the early days when you mentioned that you were counseling 
when you were quite young, I guess. So you, you got married when you were about 23, 24, is that That's right? That's correct, yeah. And, and Amy was about 21. She wasn't mm -hmm. finished college yet. Mm -hmm. So I, I always share with people um, one of the benefits of my job, and I started in the financial business when I was, I guess, when I, I was an accountant for five years. So I finished that off when I was about 28 and got right involved in doing a lot of estate planning in my late 20s, early 30s. But one of the benefits was I got to speak with a lot of people who were older than I was, mm -hmm. and you really learn a, a lot about how to communicate, what to do, and also importantly, what not to do, <laughs> right? Where you don't want to see your life lead down the road, how people tend to focus on the things that don't lead to fulfillment, yeah. get distracted, do things that they shouldn't do. And it's you know quite an education when you're younger, when you get to be around you know perhaps you know hundreds or even thousands of, of people and learn from their experience. So I'm assuming back when you were you know quite young before children, you, you got uh, quite an education when you were doing that counseling. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things I'm incredibly grateful for is there's a mentor I had during my master's program who put a really strong emphasis on being a learner. And she very much instilled that in me and that in every conversation and with every person, you know, what is it I can learn? Where can I grow? How is this person placed in front of me in a way that I can develop? And that's something that I not only carry with me today, but I try to instill in everyone I encounter because everyone does have something to offer. Everyone in our path can inform us and improve us in some way. And yeah, Don, absolutely to your point, you learn a lot. You know, I think I'd I had done the math at one point and between between counseling and coaching, I have about 20,000 hours of face-to-face <laughs> wow. Uh, interaction with people, uh, both in in a counseling setting and a coaching business setting. And you do learn a lot. You start to pick up on how people see the world. You start to make sense of different uh, viewpoints and and the the assessment tools that you study, like the Myers-Briggs and the Hogan's and the DISC stuff, they, they start to come to life and, and you start to be able to really uh, crystallize these things in real time with people and help them get where they want to go. And, you know, the other thing you had mentioned, I think is incredibly important in the context of, you know, raising a big family, you had mentioned systems. And I can't tell you enough, systems are important. Um, even when you don't follow them meticulously, they're important. And we have a set of systems in our household that we use. Um, we have a, what we call a command center. So in our in our kitchen, we've dedicated an entire wall that has uh, an annual calendar, a bulletin board with all important paperwork, a weekly calendar that we try to review on a weekly basis, sorting out resources and schedules. And that's something that we utilize very consistently. So everyone in the household from the oldest to the youngest knows where they need to go to find information. And so Systems are incredibly important because uh, we find that when we don't have a system in place, pretty much chaos ensues. And, and realistically, that's true in every area of life, whether we're talking about the household or outside the household. 
Okay, so now I'd imagine it, it runs well, but if we turn the clock back uh, 20 years ago, Brian Jr. just turned 20 this year, right? He was born in 2001. Yep. And of course, you know, as men, we name our children after ourselves, right? Of course, it's, you know, there's no Amy Jr., there's Brian Jr. and Donald Jr., <laughs> our oldest kids. Yep. So Brian was uh, was born in 2001, and then Rosie in 2002, then Justin 2004, and then Sarah 2006, and Laura in 2009. So here we are with five, right? Yep. That's the five. And it's where you said, okay, let's go further. Of course, we have Liam and Landon and Luke and, and Judah and Hope. And don't think that my memory is amazing. I do have this all written down. <laughs> so, but once you got, let's go back to, um, you know, after Sarah and Laura were born, right? Did you have a vision for these systems and process and budgets? Or did you find, wow, this is kind of getting a lot of hand. We really got to get it together here and figure out how we're going to like make this work going forward. And the answer is, is actually two things. Yeah, we reached a tipping point where we, we realized we needed to be more organized because there were there were too many things going on, especially as um, the the first children started getting older and doing more things outside the house. And then you get, you get into they have a schedule. Prior to that, it's it's pretty predictable and simple. So that made things more complex and caused us to be more organized and establish a system. But the other thing that happened after Laura is that uh, Liam was the first of two of our children that required open heart surgery uh, as mm. an infant. So uh, crisis also stepped in and forced us to be more intentional around how we ordered our life. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I would imagine that, of course, that just adds a, another layer of of complexity, right, to being able to make sure all the needs are met, yeah. the time is managed, the kids get what they want. And I know that uh, Liam and, and Landon are doing quite well, right? <laughs> right yes. now and um i guess liam is is he 10 uh yeah you have to think about that right i do <laughs> <laughs> I, I always have to do a little bit of math um but you know people have people have been gracious with me around that so let's you know talk a little bit about the schooling of mm -hmm. the kids and your experiences with managing that with homeschooling and, and and private christian school T talk about that with the kids and your experience over the years uh i guess starting with brian you know yeah. all the way through now yeah so philosophically homeschooling was something we wanted to do right from the start my wife's an absolutely brilliant woman uh, she'd graduate with a 395 from rutgers and she was instrumental in and in helping me get through my master's program so she was quite the academic. And a lot of that played into us wanting to homeschool for the idea of giving them a, a strong education and individualized education, as well as the opportunity to uh, instill the values in our kids that we wanted to instill. And, and so we did that for a while. And that we homeschooled Brian up until around uh, sixth grade, at which point there was a confluence of things. There was a family uh, medical situation with my mother-in-law and my son was a budding basketball player and he needed more opportunity than what was uh, locally available. So we enrolled him in private school and, and that was a big shift for us because from that point forward, we had we had two forms of schooling going on. We had 
Uh, we had private school, conventional schooling, and then we had homeschooling. And so that changed things a little bit because uh, we had to nuance our system. And, and that was incredibly important for us to learn because the system needed to serve us, not us serving the system. So we, we adjusted from there. And, and so Brian had a great uh, career, basketball career, uh, very successful. Uh, it, was, it was great. At one point uh, in his senior year, around the mid-year, he actually led New Jersey in scoring. So we're incredibly proud of him for that. Mm. But what we found is for our boys, as they got older, usually around the junior high age, uh, we transitioned them into uh, into private school. And with the girls, they've wanted to continue homeschooling so far. And so we continued with them until they make uh, the decision. We're like, you know what? I, I think I want to I want to go into conventional schooling. So we've been dual tracking it and uh, we've been receiving the benefits of both. And, and that's been fantastic. Yeah. And, and um, that's a great story, by the way. And Brian, I know he's an amazing athlete and he, he set all kinds of school records and and uh, I'm not sure if he, he's got state records, but where did he get his height from, by the way, Brian? Because I know Amy is <laughs> Amy is a, a taller than average. Am I correct on that? Or And Brian uh, yeah, is not, and, by the way. <laughs> well, you know, it, it, it is genetic and, and and especially on my wife's side, it, it, it's very present. Yeah, he's a, a heck of an athlete. And I know it's like, you know, always hear uh, parents of of athletes like Tom Brady said, oh, I love all my kids equally. Of course we do. We love all our kids the same, but he definitely gets a, a lot of attention uh, for for his skill. And, uh, you know, I've known a lot of your kids through through the years, of course, through uh, vacation Bible school and teaching them, and they're all wonderful, wonderful people. And of course, we give all the credit to our spouses. I give all the credit to Kathy and mm. and you do to Amy, of course, as well as the entire family. It's a it takes uh, everyone to to help out. But some of the early years, we, you know, you, you talked about talk about you know some of the economics of of the roles that that you play and and your consulting early on and how mm -hmm. that changed. Now it's your own business, yep. and uh, you know, talk about where that started, how you ended up where you are now a little bit. And, and where that's heading. Sure. Well, in terms of the economics, uh, I was also, uh, I'm incredibly privileged to have uh, a wife who for years uh, served as an assistant to an accountant. So when we got married, uh, she, she did all the bookkeeping and mm -hmm. she's done a fantastic job up until this day, including and, and, and moving forward. Uh, so there was a lot of order around that. And very early on, we had to make a decision around deciding what are needs and what are wants. And that's been a very strong guiding principle for us in terms of how we utilize our money and our resources. And sometimes that's very easy to figure out and sometimes it requires more conversation. But where we tend to start with, and historically where we start with is uh, Amy and I making sure we share values. Uh, share values around finances, share values around material goods, uh, and all of these things. Because if we share common values, deciding what's a need and a want becomes a much more streamlined conversation. And we had that throughout my early years, especially because as a pastor and in ministry, uh, resources can can run very tight sometimes. And so while we've always had provision, how we utilized it was incredibly important and, and that needed to be intentional. And again, it wrapped around that core value around what's a need and what's a want. 
And once we established that, we were able to manage our household. And then from there, one of the things that happened where I transitioned from the role that I was playing in the church to moving into leadership development and consulting was at the time, the XO at the church had sold uh, his leadership development and business consulting company so he could go into ministry. And as time went on, I kept having children and we reached a point where uh, I needed to find additional resource to support my family. What I hadn't realized is over the previous seven years, he was actually teaching me all of the things that he utilized in his business. And as an aside, and, and Don, you know this, but when, when you and I talk about church, it's not what most people envision. And, and so when we talk about church, what we're talking about for us is 3,000 people, a pre-K through high school school, a radio station, uh, a women's health center. Uh, there's a lot involved, including 150 employees and upwards of 500 volunteers at any given time. So there was a huge structure and, and, and he was actually educating me on how to best utilize those resources, how to serve as a leader. And so what happened is, as when I reached that point where more resources were needed to support my family, he connected me with the people he had sold his firm to. And I started doing work with them and our relationship increased and improved. And, and they, they were pleased with the work I was providing and provided more opportunity to the point where uh, about probably four years ago, I started doing this on my own as well as partnering uh, with them. I mean, it's been a blast. I really enjoy it. And I get to learn while I get to teach. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, that, that's what it's all about, right? I mean, often we, we learn the most when we're teaching, mm. right? So that's a great story. So, you know, here you are now, it's hundred uh, percent your firm. Right with all of yep. the joys and responsibilities that come along with it, <laughs> nothing like owning your own business in the middle of a pandemic, right, Brian? Oh yeah, uh, yeah. So you, you got to learn to be adaptive and mm -hmm. uh, not expect a paycheck, but you know it's you're you're going to be paid based upon the profits you bring in on the clients that you have. But let's talk a little bit about budgeting, right? Yeah. So the realities of of what it costs mm -hmm. to run a household annually okay so now with um with brian off at school mm -hmm. um and rosie as well by the way is rosie in college yes uh she's making her way out to college she got accepted into a musical theater program and she'll be making her way out actually um and next week we'll be we'll be taking her out and dropping her off at college saying goodbye to our our little girl Oh, gosh, I can't believe it goes by so quickly. But now we have still a, a full house. Mm -hmm. um, so how much does it cost to run the household annually? And, uh, you know, getting into the details, you have a categorized these expenses in writing. You talked about shared values, of course, mm -hmm. which is important. Of course, that's where it all starts. How often do you review it? You know, it, with some budgeting things, it, it's kind of internalized right yeah. after a while. You don't, you know, right away, you're not going to go buy something that you, you know, you, in your mind, you know, you can't afford. But talk a little bit about how much it costs to run the household and some of the nitty gritty. Yeah. So annually to run our household, you're, you're probably talking around 85K, uh, somewhere around there. 
And I like what you talked about internalizing it because that rubric of wants versus needs has tremendously helped Amy and I because there's a lot of fixed burn that is internalized in our head where we can predict within a couple hundred dollars what our monthly credit card bill is, which we pay off monthly. So we'll never carry mm-hmm. a balance on that, but we can we can predict that. Um, we can predict utilities. We Obviously, your mortgage and your taxes are fixed, but we have that in, in our heads and we can actually say it out loud. From there, yeah, we do review. A lot of the way we review is reviewing the, uh, the credit card bill because since we pay that off monthly uh, and never carry a balance, that there's two things that provides for us. One, it provides us the money back that we get from the credit card. And it also has an organizing feature that allows us to track what we're doing and where we're spending. Yeah. Now, when you do that now, I know some people do this, many people don't. Do you get alerts on your spending or, or you don't really go that deep where you know, you're going to be at, uh, let's say you're at Target and you spend $250. Does it come back and give you an alert? Eh, just spent $250 at Target or, or you really don't bother to go that deep? There is an app that I'll use uh, that I'll use to track some of that stuff that will send some alerts. What's been great for us is that because we have the shared values and because we're aligned around needs worth versus wants, I almost never get alerts. Uh, every now and then I'll, I'll get some alerts around fast food. But you know, other <laughs> than that, <laughs> um, we're, we, main, we remain pretty consistent. And how about the kid? Just talking about like Brian, for example, Rosie is just heading off for Brian at college. Does he have his own debit card, his own account? Is he working mm-hmm. to to be able to you know fund his own living expenses? You know, how is that working with the younger ones? So for that, it actually goes back to values, and that's something we instill very early on around the idea of working of growing to be self-sufficient. So yeah, he's working. My daughter's working. I had mentioned my my second son, he's forming his own business. He's forming a landscaping company. He's already got about 15 clients and he's a mentor and he's picking up more resources and tools. So we work with them around what is responsible money management at a very early age. And philosophically, and I know people differ on this, uh, we don't give an allowance. We will give them the opportunity to earn, to provide uh, some good or service for the house, and we'll reward that. And so even the other day, it was a little funny. My, <laughs> my six-year-old, he opened a store in our kitchen, and he was basically shaking down everyone in the household <laughs> to buy food from him. And so, yes, I was buying my own groceries twice because my cute six-year-old was shaking me down for it. Yeah, that reminds me a little of my oldest son, Brian. My son, DJ, was a, a, a young guy. I don't know how old he was, but we were having dinner one night and he pulls out like five bucks in singles out of his pocket. I said, where'd you get that money from, DJ? He says, oh, I sold water to the neighbors. I said, water to the neighbors? He says, yeah, I noticed they were like mowing the lawn. It was very hot. I went outside and I sold them each a bottle of water for a dollar. I said, you, you, know, you really have to ask mommy and daddy before you <laughs> do something like that. We had to return the money, but at least it got him thinking. And right. you know what? Today, he's really very careful about spending. Mm-hmm. He's got his own accounts. And we talked about this, you and I, uh, in the past. You know, the young, the young ones like, like Brian and Rosie and Justin and Sarah, 
they could start their own investment accounts. They could start yep. I, uh, Roth IRAs yep. when they're 15, 16, 17 years old and fund those as long as they have earned income. Yep. And that money is tax-free for their whole life, right? So it doesn't take much to be able to get the ball rolling, get them thinking about delayed gratification, about being careful about their spending and about earning, right? So it's it's about being careful, of course, about spending, but you can't dismiss the fact that they have to you know, earn a good living to be able to um, make it, particularly in the state. So- yeah, I think you're hitting on two important things there, actually, Don. Um, you know, and, and, you know, the first one is especially for kids, but also for adults is thinking about the future. It's so easy to just get wrapped up in the present and not be paying attention to finances, uh, life decisions and, and things of that nature. So that's incredibly important to, to do. And, and then even carrying that with yourself, you know, what decisions am I making? Am I looking forward is, is the things that I'm doing, the decisions I'm making forward facing and bringing me towards the goals that I'm looking to achieve. Yeah, I think that's a, a great point. And a lot of budgeting and expenditures come down to that, right, Brian? It's like, mm-hmm. am I going to indulge myself now, satisfy this craving, buy this, you know, buy the, this shirt or whatever you're going to buy that's going to make me feel good right now? Or am I going to be looking toward the future? What is this going to mean for the future? Right. Yep. And I share with the kids, hey, instead of going out with your friends and spending all this money and going to spend money on fast food or doing what you're doing, if you can save just, you know, maybe a couple hundred dollars a month over time, this is going to be, could be hundreds of thousands of dollars. And if you do it right, maybe even tax free. So, you know, once they start having a perspective like that, it tends to open their mind to the value of money, the value of time, and that distinction between wants and needs and the benefits of the delayed gratification. Yeah. So, you know, we talked about, okay, the, the budgeting a little bit, it's $80,000 a year for you to raise the kids. And let's talk about the time management, right? For a second. So, mm-hmm. you know, I know that, uh, and I'm not sure if you're this way, but my day is pretty scripted, right? Mm-hmm. So I've been essentially self-employed for the better part of more than 30 years. So um, I wake up at a certain time. I do a certain thing in the morning. I have my breakfast, my coffee. I read. I read. I, I do my prayer time. I do my time getting ready for work, getting uh, the day going, preparing the night before for the day and the week ahead. All those things. Right. So talk about you know what the distinctions are for you and Amy during the day. What does your day look like for each of you? <laughs> you know. Some days are fairly scripted, and others uh, I have I have time and opportunity to freelance. When I'm focusing in with with clients and executive coaching, my day will run hour to hour to hour, and so it's it wouldn't be unusual, and it's not unusual for me to do six, seven, eight straight hours uh, meeting with clients. Other days, again, I have more freedom of movement. Like I shared about values, for me, I organize my day and my life fairly big picture at times. And so, you know, there's a there's a great story about a professor who comes into the classroom and he has a giant fish tank and and he takes these huge rocks and he puts like four or five big rocks in and then he asks all the he asks all the students, he says, you know, can I fit anything more? And they say, no, you can't. And then he takes smaller rocks and he puts them around and they say, can I put, can I put more? And he's, they say, no, you can't. 
And so then he, he does this two or three more times and then he fills it with gravel up to the top and he says, can I fit more? And they say, you can't. And then he pours sand in. Can you fit more? And, 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 and he says, and then they say, you can't. And so at which point, filled with sand up to the top, he takes out pitchers of water and he fills the fish tank with water. Uh, at which point he gets to the end, he goes, can I fit any more in the fish tank? And they say, no, you can't. And then he says, so what's the lesson? And the students reply and they say, well, the lesson obviously is, you know, you could always fit more. And he says, no, that's not the lesson. So the lesson is you need to put your big rocks in first. And one of the organizing principles for me is to be consistently asking myself, is this the size rock I want to be putting in my fish tank right now? And so in terms of time management, outside of those days that are very rigidly scheduled, when I have freedom of movement, that's the rubric I use. Is, is this a big rock? Is this a big enough rock to, for me to be utilizing my time? And, and so what I do from that is sometimes it's, it's working on the business instead of in the business. And sometimes it's being creative. Other times it's spontaneously making time for the family and taking care of household things. But there, there is that guiding principle that I'll try to use in time management when my days are not rigidly scheduled. Yeah, that's a great um, a great video. In fact, I just saw that about a day or two ago. It's funny you mentioned that. <laughs> I haven't seen that in a while. We should throw a link up there with the yeah. podcast that we're doing. That's a it's a, it's a great um, visual lesson, right? You know, I look at that, and it's it's you have to it gets back to being intentional, right, mm -hmm. about your day, not letting the, the the distractions kind of fill your time and the time wasters fill your time. So, I guess a couple of my questions are. Getting back to the day as it starts, what time do you wake up in the morning? Is it four o'clock, five o'clock, six o'clock? Tell me, I need to know. So I'll usually, I'm usually up around eight o'clock and I, I have a routine where I get myself ready and prepared for the day. And again, it depends on the day. Um, sometimes, sometimes it is reading, sometimes it's exercise, sometimes it's really just sitting and, and getting myself clear-headed for what's ahead. But yeah, I'm usually around eight o'clock. And the interesting thing for us is because, as we said earlier, there's a lot of humans in this household. <laughs> so <laughs> I'll come down around eight o'clock and there's probably about three or four kids that have a two-hour head start on me. Mm -hmm. So some of it's going downstairs and cleaning up some mess and dealing with some of that stuff before I jump into the day. And then if you flip the other side of the day, we also have older kids. Mm -hmm. So they'll wind up being up and talking. And, and so they're going to bed around one, two o'clock in the morning sometimes because you're talking about 19, 20 year old. And, <laughs> and, and so our household is has activity pretty consistently for about 20 hours of the day. And I'm not awake for all 20 of those hours. Uh, I will I will go to bed earlier. It's almost like Amy and I work in shifts. So she'll take that night shift uh -huh. and she'll have those great conversations with the kids super late at night. And one of the things we found, it's interesting, even from a really young age, I don't know what it is, Don, but kids like to talk and have deep conversations really late at night. <laughs> I don't get it, but we're going to make ourselves available because we treasure those times. Well, that's definitely a perennial issue in our household too, because we have uh, three in college. And those kids, 
do not want to go to sleep. And <laughs> Kathy and I are usually in bed at like 10 30, uh, 10 30, 11 o'clock, and I get up earlier. So you're up at eight o'clock. I did not expect that answer, by the way. I didn't expect eight o'clock. So please tell me, Amy is not up at eight o'clock with you, right? She's up <clears throat> earlier than you. Well, it, honestly, it depends. Sometimes I'm up earlier. Sometimes gotcha. she is. I mean, that's just kind of like the the general, if I was to put it into a time. Yeah. Um, and I would say it also varies from, from season. So in the winter, when I can't work out outside and I have to work out indoors, uh, I'll be, I'll, I'll probably be up around six and getting a workout in before the house stirs uh, beyond what I can control. So the young ones are in uh, bed at two in the morning, but you're in bed, I'm assuming before midnight, correct? Oh yeah. All right. Yeah. yeah and, I, and Amy I as well. I, well, no, my, my wife, she's, she's a trooper. She'll stick it out, but, uh, I don't, I don't have the same energy I used to for, uh, for post midnight. Now, do you and Amy work out together? Do you exercise together or is that kind of done, done separately in, in shifts as well? Well, uh, my exercise, I wind up doing solo. I've taken up, uh, I've taken up biking and tremendously enjoying that, especially in the nice weather. And I live probably about two miles from Manasquan Reservoir, which is absolutely beautiful. And uh, as of right now, Amy's current workout plan is chasing children. When you do the math around 10 kids, uh, she's been with child or caring for a nursing infant, though the opportunity hasn't been there until recently. So tell me, does, is Amy much of a biker as well or no? Yeah. You know, the exercise that we like to share together is is walking. Uh, that's always been her thing. Uh, she would walk with her parents, and and we now uh, we live in a beautiful neighborhood, so we'll take some time at night and and we'll try to walk anywhere from like three to five miles together. Okay, so we got it down. You're exercising. You got the management down. Have the budget down. I gotta ask you, what's your guilty pleasure. You don't drink coffee. It's got to be chocolate. It's got to, it's got to be something like that. Come on. I mean, you know, my, my guilty pleasure is my coffee in the morning and in the afternoon. So there's gotta be <laughs> some area where you have a guilty pleasure. You're wasting money on something or something you shouldn't be doing. Come on. Like it's time to tell, to tell all and fess up. All right. So my Achilles heel. <laughs> And it's so significant that my wife actually asks permission before she buys it for the household is very much ice cream. Oh, yeah, it is. It is my kryptonite more than you would know. I absolutely love it. And, you know, growing up, uh, my dad was one of the last milkmen. And oh, wow. so, yeah, uh, he was uh, he he worked for uh, he worked for a farm and and he retired and, and they actually did a couple news articles about him uh, in the local paper uh, w during his uh, his milkman career. Uh, so, yeah, maybe that has something to do with my my love for ice cream. But, yeah, that's that's my huge guilty pleasure that. So you're rating the uh, the refrigerator and the freezer ahead of the kids when Amy buys the ice cream. <laughs> so I'm not going to ask about Amy's guilty pleasure. It's not fair because, uh, you know, we're not going to comment on our wife's guilty pleasures. Ah, ah. <laughs> but it, again, one of the things that amazes me about Amy, is she she's like you said, she's always seems to be having kids in tow. Right. Mm -hmm. It seems how I mm -hmm. vision her, especially over the past 10 years or so. But all the kids are just 
beautiful, fantastic, respectful, loving kids. And a number of them kind of parallel my kids' ages, right? Rosie and Nick are the same age and and Sarah and Tori. So they've been in my classes when I've taught in the the summertime during the vacation Bible school camp. And... um, you know, Landon and Luke, and and I would be remiss. I want you to speak a little bit about youngest baby Hope before mm. we close out. Yeah. Wow. Uh, we call Hope uh, our little angel. So Hope actually is no longer with us. Uh, Hope passed in, in February of 2020, right before uh, the pandemic hit. And, you know, she taught us so much uh, about love, she taught us so much about family. She taught us so much about perseverance. She was born with trisomy 18, and uh, that's commonly referred to as bring your child home to die syndrome. And many of these children don't even make it to birth. Uh, and the ones that do, about 50% of them don't even, they don't even live past the first hour. And so Hope lived with us, and we were blessed to have her for eight and a half months. And one of the things we talk about, we'll often say, is that her life was dramatically longer and dramatically shorter than we ever expected. And and you know, I, I obviously I, I I can't stop gushing about her. Uh, she was beautiful and intelligent and remarkable. And and the what she brought out of us and what she taught us as a family is incredible. Even down to my wife's care for her was downright heroic. Uh, right from the very beginning, because she was the second of our children that needed open heart surgery. And unfortunately, because of that diagnosis, there were major hospitals that refused to give her the heart surgery that she need, because basically the thought process was, and this was their policy, and they actually didn't hide it, was she's going to expire anyway. So we're not going to put our staff through the needless work of having to do a surgery. So my wife was she was on the phone with heads of surgery in, in Missouri and in Philadelphia and Boston and, and just absolutely tireless till we got her to uh, Boston Children's where they did the, they did the surgery successfully and, and extended her life about four and a half months. And those are four and a half months we're incredibly, incredibly grateful for. Because again, the, the impact she had on us was immeasurable and in and just completely lasting. Well, I mean, what can I say a- after that? I mean, it's an amazing testimony. Um, of course, the, uh, the impact that she had on our family and thousands and thousands of people at the church um, was, uh, was just outstanding, was amazing. And uh, before I get choked up, mm. I just want to thank you for being here, spending time, telling us about your story, the Dunphy family, Amy, all the kids, uh, the impact they've had on our family. And you guys are just, you know, one of the, uh, the families that everyone knows about, of course, <laughs> in, a, in a gigantic church. And uh, it's, uh, it's been a pleasure. The time has gone by quickly. I don't even know how long we've been recording. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's probably triple the usual length of the show, but we have to do this again for sure, right? And absolutely, uh, and pick it up, and um, you know, hopefully, that people will will enjoy our conversation, and uh, we'll we'll do it again real soon. How's that? 
That sounds great. And and thank you for the uh, privilege of being on and and just for your podcast in general. It, it, it's educated both me, and as I said, uh, my children, and it's it's making an impact on our home as well. So thank you. All right, my friend. Thanks so much. Investment advisory services offered through Donald W. Cash & Associates, LLC, a registered investment advisor in the state of New Jersey.